Well, listen, I want to get right to the Word and talk about uh, something I wanted to talk about, something that I've been working on this year, 2018, something I'm working on. Uh, I'm working on not complaining, not complaining. By nature, uh, I'm a melancholy personality, melancholy, meaning I see all the details and I'm very perfectionistic. And you know a perfectionist is somebody that ha has great pains and gives it to everybody else. I'm a perfectionist. I want things to be perfect in life. And, uh, and so because of that, I have a propensity toward complaining. Now, I don't believe that complaining is just a Delaware thing. I believe perhaps there's somebody in Texas, probably not many people, but somebody in Texas that you have trouble complaining sometimes, <laughs> complaining about things. In fact, here's what I do. I wear this little uh, white band on my arm, and every time I complain, uh, I, have to switch, I have to switch sides. And it's a constant reminder. If I find myself complaining, oh, I got to switch sides. So it kind of reminds me to be conscious. And it's amazing how many times in a day you can be prone to complain. And when I have this thing on, it just kind of makes me always think, oh, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to, you know, change, uh, you know, risk there. Uh, we have a, our student director said, hey, listen, if you complain and you do another complaint right away, can you leave it on, on, the, on the wrist there? <laughs> But that's not really the goal. So I made a list of things that I complain about. And uh, I started writing that list, writing that list, writing that list. And there just was such a, a long list of things that I complain about. And then I thought about things that maybe you and I together have trouble complaining about. And one of the things that, uh, you know, several things. Uh, have you ever complained about your job? Don't raise your hand, especially if you work here. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but maybe you've complained about your job and things that are going on at work. Or maybe you've complained about your supervisor, the people that uh, are overseeing you, that kind of thing. How about complaining about traffic? Have you ever complained about the traffic? You know, people from other states in Delaware, and we live in Delaware, and all those New Jersey people come to our state, and they don't know how to drive, and they're holding everything up. Maybe you've complained about the traffic, and that's been something you complained about. How about, how about politics? Here's a hot-button question. Have you ever complained about what they're doing in Washington or what they're not doing in Washington? Have you ever had that? You know, there's, there's whole TV networks that are, are based upon complaining 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 about you know i know that we as americans we have the right to dissent and speak up that's a good thing that we can you know say what's on our mind i heard about the the russian uh, years ago that when russia was under communism and the american were talking about which country was the greatest and and the uh the american says i can stand right in front of the white house and say the president of the united states is an idiot and the Russian says, I've got the same thing. I can do the same thing in Russia. I can stand right in front of the Kremlin and say, the president of the United States is an idiot. I can say that. <laughs> so dissent is good. We can dissent. But you know what? I think it's out of hand. I think it's out of hand. You listen to the pundits and, and everything's bad and things are bad. You've got one network that's dedicated to complaining about one party. The, that particular party that they're complaining about can't do anything right. And then you've got another network that's complaining about the other party. And so you've got this just kind of griping on the air always going on. Uh, how, about your, how about your spouse? I know you've you got a perfect spouse. Have you ever complained about your spouse? Maybe they snore. Maybe they snore. I'm not going to, you know, I've done counseling, months and months of counseling with people that have trouble because their spouse snores. Now, how many knows of some spouse, not your spouse, but some spouse that snores? Just raise your hand. You know, you know somebody like that. Well, I'm sure you got that, that going on. Well, you got your kids. What about your kids, you know? 
You try to keep the house neat. Everything's supposed to be in order. And your kids, you've been praying for God to give you kids and God to give you kids. And, and God finally gives you kids, and they just wreck your house. How about that? How many know your house would look perfect if you didn't have those kids tearing the curtains down every day? I, I remember uh, one time I had uh, our house was a wreck. Our kids were, you know, maybe four and five years old, maybe, maybe six, seven years old, something like that. And house was just a wreck, and I had to go uptown for something. I told the boys, I said, I want you to clean this house up when I'm gone. And when I get back, I want it to be perfect. I want it to be absolutely perfect. Now, I threatened them within an inch of their life to get that house straight now. So I came back, and house looked pretty good. But then I saw over by my easy chair, I saw a baseball that they didn't put away. And I mean, you know, the little veins in my neck began to pop out. And I thought, they didn't do this right. You remember I told you I was a perfectionist, melancholy kind of a person. And uh, I started to pick up that baseball. And as I stopped, stopped, stopped to pick up that baseball, I heard the Lord say to me, there will not always be grass-stained baseballs in your living room. How many know there's some things more important than having a perfectly ordered house? Can you say big amen? So sometimes we complain about just, just good things and all that. Now, if you're getting older, like, you know, Sam, bless his heart, he's in that senior level, you know? <laughs> you, complain about, you complain about your health. Things are When you get older, your conversation with your peers just goes from body part to body part to body part. <laughs> I got a bad knee. I have a knee that had some surgery, and, and uh, I'm always telling people about my knee, and my knee just bothers me all the time. And, and, uh, I, and this is no lie. Karen and I were to visit somebody in, in the nursing home, dear lady in our church. She was passing away, getting ready to go see Jesus, and her husband was over there. Uh, he was actually, they shared the nursing home together, and he was over there, and we prayed for this wonderful woman, loved her, and she was going to see Jesus. And I'm over there talking to Bill, her husband, and uh, he's there, and he started telling me about his knee, and then I started telling him about my knee and we got talking and Karen says I can't believe you're telling Bill about your knee when his wife is over there dying isn't that awful now you didn't even laugh at that because that is awful isn't it <laughs> but you know you just move from body part to body part and when you when and you get older when you when you kneel down you know to pick up something you, you it's just so much trouble to get down there you look around and see if there's anything else you can pick up while you're down there <laughs> but complaining we all have trouble with complaining things that happen in our life and things that are going on now I, I don't know about this what about what about your TV have you ever been watching Netflix and you're on you've been binge watching and you're like on the last episode and you just can't wait to see how this whole thing ends and then all of a sudden you see that little swirly thing and you're and you're and you're and you're and you're and it goes offline and you can't get it back how many know how many know that is an awful experience right there now, we have a big 65-inch Vizio TV in our living room, and uh, every once in a while, for whatever reason, that TV just goes off. It just blinks off. It just quits, and it just drives me crazy. We're in the middle of something, and it just goes off. We don't know why. We don't know if there's demons pulling the plug out. We don't know what's going on. And then I think about, you know, hey, I get it back on. And I think about the sorry TV that Sammy Fisher has in his living room. I mean... <laughs> He has a little iPod, you know, that on legs. It's terrible. And I think about, I need to bring my, my binoculars. It's such a little TV. But there's all kinds of things that we can complain about, isn't there? Sometimes we complain about our lot in life, our lot in life. We, we think, 
that our lot in life is worse than other people's situation. I was talking to a guy one time, it wasn't too long ago, I was uh, doing a renewal of a wedding ceremony, a couple that I had married 25 years earlier uh, asked me to do this uh, ceremony and I was doing their wedding ceremony for them. And uh, just wonderful, wonderful event. And there was a guy that was, uh, did some music that sang and uh, before I did the ceremony. And after the ceremony, I went up to him and I like to affirm people when they do a good job. So I went up to him and I said, you know, you did such a good job. You just really, it was so marvelous what you did. It was just so good. And then he began to tell me about his, his vocation, how much he hated his job and how he had been treated unfairly at this one job. And then he said, I went to this next job and, I, and they didn't treat me right there. And then he said, this, this whole community has got all of these problems. And I just listened to him. It was like holding a skunk. It was such an un, unpleasant experience. And, you know, I thought about that guy as I listened to him, as he thought about his lot in life. And uh, I realized a couple things. I realized one of the things was that he was in a lot of pain. You know, sometimes when we're in pain, we complain. Say that with me. When we're in pain, we complain. So sometimes if you have a lot of complaining coming out of your mouth, maybe it means that you need to, you got some healing in your heart. There's some things that you really need to have happen in your heart so you can get some healing and some help in, in, your, in, your, in your conversation there and, and all that. But the other thing I noticed was that during our 15, 20-minute conversation, his conversation was totally focused on himself. Never once in the conversation, Karen and I were standing there together, did he say, and how are you guys doing? And what's going on with you? People that have a propensity toward complaining live in their isolated world. And they don't live in the world of other people. Have you ever been around somebody that the conversation is all about them? It's always about them and it's never about you. Healthy people don't just simply talk about themselves, but healthy people also investigate and pull out the things in other people's lives. And so that's an important thing. I noticed that poor guy that he, uh, he was just totally self-absorbed with what was going on in his life. Now, my dad is a pastor. My dad taught me this principle. He said, he said, Danny, if you ever get discouraged in the ministry, if you ever get a little down one day, if you ever get a little discouraged, just get in the car and go to the hospital and just start visiting people. Just go from room to room and visit people and encourage people. And he said, you will find that that experience of giving out to other people will transform you. And I'll never forget one day I was in the hospital visiting and uh, I was discouraged. And I had gone through a hard time and the church was going through some tribulation. And so I was in the hospital and I'm visiting people. And every room I went to, I felt better. Just praying for people, just asking them how they're doing, just pouring some love and affirmation out to them. And the more that I gave, you know, the Bible says give and it will be given to you. If you need encouragement, if you need affirmation, just give that away. So I'm giving that away, and I'm walking by this one particular room, and I was about done. I was ready to go to my car and go back to the office. I'm walking by this room, and you ever had one of those Holy Spirit uh, shoulder taps where the Lord taps you on the shoulder? So important to do that. When, listen to him when he does that to you. And so I was, I was ready to go. I had uh, uh, something I needed to do back at the office, and I'd been visiting people. And so I walked by this one room, and I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of tapped me on the shoulder, but I just kept going. I just kept going kept going. I thought, man, I got to get to the car now. I got things to do. And I just couldn't shake that conviction that I needed to go in that one particular room. 
So I went back and went to that room, and I went into the room, and there was a, there was a, a man, an older man, in the bed there. He happened to be an African-American man, and uh, he was the only guy in the room. And uh, I said to him, how are you doing? And I introduced myself. I said, I'm Danny Tice, and what's your name? He said, my name is Buddy. And I said, Buddy, how are you doing? And Buddy said, you know, I'm not doing too good. He said, this morning I have diabetes and they amputated my leg. And he pulled back the sheet there and showed me his leg that was, had been amputated there. And so uh, I just pulled up the chair and I just, just ministered to him and loved on him. And I realized that whatever was going on in my world was nothing compared to what was going on in Buddy's world. How many know that our lot in life is not as bad as somebody's lot in life? Can you say a big amen? Sometimes we get all wrapped up in our narcissistic American culture that we completely lose the fact that there are other people that need us to love and pour our hearts into them. Listen to this. This is an important principle. When you are feeling uh, kind of in the funk and you're feeling down, make sure that you look outside of yourself and help others. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who became a servant and poured his life out to help other people. There was a guy one time in the uh, Old Testament, a guy named Asaph, who was a worship leader, and uh, he was complaining about his lot in life one time. In Psalm 73, uh, he said uh, he was looking at everybody else's situation in life. He was comparing everybody else's, looking at the person, his neighbor, how they were doing. And, and he began to look at his neighbors, and he thought his neighbors were doing better than he was doing. And he felt like God and the universe had just selected him, selected him and just pulled him out for, for a hard lot in life. And he said, surely God is good in Israel, uh, Psalm 73, verse 1, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burden, common demand. They are plagued. They are not plagued by human ills. Uh, this is what the wicked are like, he says in verse 12. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. So he, he kind of like, he kind of elevated the perspective of other people. He said, well, they never have any struggles. They never have any difficulties. They never have any pain. But here, my life is just this hard, hard life. And how many know that that's not true? That everybody has struggles and everybody has challenges and everybody has difficulties. And when we're in a funk and when we're discouraged, we tend to think it's just us that are going through this difficult time. Now, here's a principle that I think is important. First principle is, is when you are, uh, when you are feeling like complaining, reach out and touch and minister to somebody else. Say this to me, when I'm down... I need to reach out. Say it again. When I'm down, I need to reach out. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down. Uh, my dad's advice, going to that hospital, visiting people, it takes me out of my world, the me world. The me world stands for my experience. My experience. It takes me out of the me world and gets me uh, connected to other people. The, 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 the other thing is, that's an important principle, is, uh, is there's always two parallel things happening in our life. Now, here's what um, I used to think. I used to think that you're either on the mountaintop 
or you're in the valley. Either everything is great or everything is bad. How many know that's not true? What is really true is there's always something good happening and there's always something negative happening in our life. There, there, there are two things happening. It's not like life is uh, mountains and valleys. Life is this. Life is simultaneously there are good things and bad things happening in all of our lives. There are, there are bitter things and sweet things happening simultaneously. There are, there are things that are happening parallel to each other. Now, Rick Warren has some really great uh, insight on this. And let me just uh, read a little bit about Rick Warren here. Rick Warren says this. He says, life is a series of problems. Either you're in one now, you're just coming out of one, or you're getting ready to go into another. The reason for this is that God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. God is more interested in making you holy than he is making your life happy. We can be reasonably happy here on earth, but that's not the goal of life. The goal is to grow in character in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what he says here. Listen to this. Very important. He says, I used to think that life was hills and valleys. You go through a dark time when you go through the mountaintop, back and forth. I don't believe that anymore. Rather than life being hills and valleys, I believe, that's kind of like, that I believe that it's kind of like two rails on a railroad track. And at all times, you have something good and something bad in your life. No matter how good things are in your life, there's always something bad that needs to be worked on. And no matter how bad things are in your life, there's always something good you can thank God for. Now, that's an important distinction because life is, has parallel experiences that are happening at the same time. And I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at a wedding. The, uh, the girl that was the director of our day school was getting married, and uh, she just looked beautiful. I have never seen uh, a, a, an unattractive bride. Brides on their wedding day look just beautiful. She looked beautiful. Groom was terrible. But anyhow, she, <laughs> she looked beautiful. And uh, it was an outdoor wedding. It was uh, in the county seat where I live. There's a beautiful circle uh, with, a, with a, like a kind of a uh, fountain in the middle. And there's a, a really beautiful hotel called the Brick Hotel, an old brick hotel on the, on the corner there. And she was getting married in a garden behind that uh, hotel. And there was maybe 60 or 70 people there. And she was, uh, she was stunning. I mean, I've known this girl for years. She was absolutely beautiful. And uh, there was flowers everywhere, and the birds were chirping, and the sun was shining. It was just absolutely an incredibly beautiful day. And she's getting ready to walk down the aisle. And as she's walking down the aisle, uh, the person walking her down the aisle gets her, you know, about two-thirds of the way down the aisle. And all the people are there sitting in those beautiful little white chairs. And, and the flowers are blooming and the birds are singing. And as she is walking down the aisle, the fire alarm goes off at the fire station just a few feet from where the wedding was taking place. And it was, you know, have you ever heard in a little town, those fire alarms, it was just like real loud. And here's this poor girl at her wedding walking down the aisle in this beautiful wedding and the fire alarm and the fire trucks rushing out of the fire station, honking their horns. And it was such a contrast that you had this beautiful wedding taking place. And at the same time, you had some fire, something challenging going on and all the noise from that and you have to, in life you have to learn how to be able to distinguish 
those two things. Life is not about everything being perfect. Life will never be perfect for you. It will never be perfect for me. Life is about learning to discern and see those wonderful things that God is doing in your life in spite of the negatives that are in your life. Let me ask you a question here this morning in Tyler, Texas. How many have some bitter, some negative thing happening in your life right now? Just raise your hand. Something bitter, something negative going on. So it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the capacity we have as people to be able to fixate and look at those things that, that are beautiful. The Bible says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is good, think about these things. Listen to this. We have the capacity to be able to choose what we think about. Say it with me. We have the capacity to be able to choose what we think about. One more time, say this. We have the capacity to be able to choose what we look at. So it's important that we, we kind of think about that. John chapter 5, there's a, a wonderful story about Jesus healing this, this guy that's been laying at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, and uh, this is a cool thing about uh, the pool of Bethesda. There's this beautiful place in Jerusalem where they've excavated where this pool was in, in uh, John chapter 5. In fact, uh, liberal scholars used to look at this text and they, they thought it was a, wasn't historically accurate because they had never found the Pool of Bethesda. But uh, back in the, uh, right before the 19th century, they uncovered these two pools uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, one of them is 65 feet uh, long and the other is 55 feet long. And they're close together. And uh, they found out as they did the excavation that they had... They had colonnades, four colonnades on each of the pools. And as the pools were close together, they put a colonnade to connect them. And Jesus said that there was a, you know, the text says in John chapter 5, that there was a pool covered with five colonnades. I have a picture, I believe. I don't know if I sent it up here or not. A picture of the, uh, of the pool of Bethesda. Maybe I don't have it. Maybe I didn't send it ahead of time. So no worries. I'm not going to complain about the soundboard. That was fine. You guys didn't have any control over that. So, uh, but there's, they've, they've excavated that. And there's this, there's this story that Jesus uh, tells uh, that's in the Gospel of John, where these uh, invalids would be kind of perched around the pool there. Lots of it says lots of invalids were there, and uh, there was this tradition. We don't know if it was underground uh, spring or whatever, but the pool would be would be churned up from time to time, and the people believed if they could get in that pool, they would be healed. And this one man had been there for 38 years. And he'd been sitting by the pool for 38 years, hoping that he would have the capacity to get into that pool and he would be healed. So Jesus walks into that, uh, that infested area one day with all of those people, with all those needs. He walks into the area. And as he walks into the area, the Bible says he looked at that man and he said, do you want to get well? And the man said, there's nobody here to help me get in the pool. And Jesus, you know, bypassed the pool. He said, you don't need the pool, I can heal you. And so Jesus healed the man, and he said to him, pick up your mat and follow me. So he picked up his mat, and, uh, and this amazing thing happened. But the Bible says in the story that the Jewish leaders, uh, as they saw this miracle take place, the Jewish leaders, what did they fixate on? They fixated on this. It's not lawful for you to carry your mat. Isn't that interesting? This amazing thing has happened. This man had been sick for 38 years, and now he's healed. And they are looking at this one little thing that they think is negative. 
and let me just say this to you. There can be a lot of great things happening in your life, a lot of great things happening in my life. We can be surrounded with blessing, but after a while, we can kind of like fixate on that one little thing that's wrong in our life, and it can ruin everything. It becomes the fly in the oatmeal. It begins to ruin everything in our life. And so if you're a perfectionist like I am, if you're a detailed person like I am, one of the things that you may struggle with is that, that you can have 25 good things happening in your life, but there's one thing that's out of line and out of order, and you somehow fixate on that one thing, and it ruins that. And they said, hey, it's not lawful for you to carry your mat. It's not lawful for you to carry your mat. I heard about the old, uh, the old hunter that had a, uh, had a bird dog, or actually a retriever dog, that when you go waterfowl hunting, uh, he, it would retrieve the, the, the ducks or whatever. And this dog was amazingly gifted, and he could walk on water. He could walk on water. I mean, he'd get, jump out of the blind, and he didn't swim. He walked on the water. And so he was hunting with one of his buddies one day, and the shot a, shot a uh, mallard down, and it fell, and the dog popped out and walked on water. And, uh, and, and his friend didn't say anything. He thought, boy, he'd be common about that. And it happened about three or four times. They shot these birds down. And, and finally, he couldn't take anymore. He said, hey, well, what do you think of my dog? What do you think of my dog? And he said, I don't think he can swim, Kenny. I don't think he can swim. <laughs> So something really good happening, but all he can see is that which is not good. Now, Paul says this in, uh, in, in the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, or actually in the book of uh, Philippians. Here's what Paul said. Uh, he says this, and this is the quintessential verse for complaining. Philippians 2.14 says this, do everything, <clears throat> do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become the blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. He said, do everything without complaining. Say it with me. Do everything, do everything without, complaining. without complaining. And that's, a, that's an incredible boast to do everything without complaining. Now, what's significant about this letter is that when Paul writes this letter, he is in jail. He is in jail. He is, uh, he's, we don't know if he was in Caesarea uh, in jail. Some scholars believe he was in Caesarea. Some believed he was in Rome in jail. Traditionally, we've all thought he's in Rome, but he's in jail. And uh, he's in jail because he's been preaching the gospel, trying to help people. And he's, he's been doing that uh, consistently. He's been helping people. He's taken up collections to help poor people. He's done all of these good things. And, and things, the tide is turned against Paul. And he is put in jail, and he's in this uh, situation where he's in a, a very uh, uncomfortable situation. He's in jail. And so he writes a letter, and the theme of the letter of Philippians is the theme of joy. It's just full of joy. It's full of encouragement. And you would expect Paul in jail writing a letter, it would be filled with complaining. You would expect it would be filled with all kinds of uh, woe is me and how bad things are. And you would expect that coming out of jail and Paul writing this letter, it would be like one list of, of, of a litany of things that aren't good and things are bad. And he would just be pouring his heart out of all the things that were bad. But instead, he said, do everything without complaining. He's not complaining. And he could have said how unfair this is of what's happened to him how unfair this is. And uh, he's been helping people. He's been preaching the gospel. 
And he could say how unfair life is. Let me ask you a question. How many have ever felt life hasn't been fair? Just raise your hand. It's not been fair. Uh, and I remember when I was in a first grade, I think Sammy was not in my class. He was in that uh, special class with a short bus. But anyhow, uh, <clears throat> but I remember being in first grade. Yvette always says, slam on Sam while you're preaching, you know. I have to work at it because I love him so much, you know. But I remember being in first grade and uh, we were, had been at recess and I was uh, standing in line getting ready to go into the class and I was just a little, little tyke, you know, little first grader. And I'm standing in line uh, and, and there were, it had just rained and there was this mud puddle beside me. And this kid behind me named Scott um, felt inspired. He saw me and he saw the mud puddle. And he throws me in the mud puddle, head first. I mean, I wasn't expecting, I'm just standing there, you know, my little court, cute shorts my mom put on me. I'm just like looking like a cute little kid. He just hurls me in the, in the, in the mud puddle. And I'm covered with mud. And I'm, I'm just, I got up and I was so embarrassed and I was crying and I went to the the room, I'm sitting there in class and there's water, muddy water running off of me and I'm just, uh, they sent me to the nurse, my mom had to come get me. And, um, but that day was an important day for me because I had an epiphany that day. The epiphany was, life isn't fair. There are people in this world for their own entertainment will throw you in the mud puddle. So the next day at recess, uh, I, I was climbed up the monkey bars and hid there and when Scott walked by, I jumped on him and beat him up, and I beat him up three ways, fast, hard, and continuously. I hit him. <laughs> and a good news report, Scott never pushed me in the mud puddle ever again, so. But listen, let me just, let me just, uh, let me just remind us all that, you know, you can go through life, and there are going to be things that are unfair happen to you. And you can, you can choose, you can choose to fixate on the unfairness of life, or you can fixate on the sovereignty of God. And if you look at Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm in chains for Christ. Because I'm in prison, I've been able to preach to all the palace guard, and people on the outside have been encouraged to preach the gospel because I'm in here, and they've been more inspired to preach and to take up the slack because I'm in jail. And somehow Paul could see in what was a painful experience, he could see God's sovereign plan in his life and God using that circumstance for a good thing. So when life is unfair to you, first of all, tell yourself, life isn't just unfair to me. Life's unfair to everybody. Things happen that we don't plan on. Things happen to us that we, don't, we didn't uh, put on our schedule. But in every unfair situation, we need to have a discerning eye to see the sovereignty of God working in our life. And Paul said, I'm in chains for Christ. So say this with me, life isn't fair, but God always has a plan. One more time, life isn't fair, but God always has a plan. The last thing about... Uh, complaining that I thought about was, I thought about, you know, the antidote for complaining according to the New Testament is thanksgiving. And let me just give you a, a few verses where it talks about thanksgiving here. Uh, 
Colossians uh, 2, 6, uh, and 7 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing and overflowing and overflowing with thankfulness. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Kind of walking through life, always giving thanks. Thanking God, even when you're in jail. Paul did that in um, Acts chapter 16 when he was in Philippi. He could tell them to be thankful in every situation because when you find, uh, you read about the uh, founding of the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16, he was thrown in jail with Silas and they had been beaten and they had been mistreated. And in the, at midnight, when it was the darkest, at midnight, it says in the book of Acts, Acts 16, at midnight, they began to sing and praise the Lord in the midst of that terrible situation he was in. And then, of course, the Lord brought an earthquake and he was liberated from his situation there. So he, he knew what he was talking about, and he gave thanks. And let me just ask you a question here right now. How many have how many got something right now, something really wonderful you could give thanks for, something God is doing in your life? And there's just always something good. And we're, at the end of this service, we're going we're gonna to have a little commercial break where we just take some time and give thanks to the Lord and just honor him. So I think this, I think we have to, especially if you're a melancholy, perfectionistic, detailed person like myself, uh, that you, you're going to have to work at training yourself to not complain, but to be thankful. You're going to have to work at uh, doing that consciously, like with the little wrist, wristband here, oh, I start to complain, oh, I'm going to stop that right there so I don't have to move that. Consciously working that. Karen and I used to watch this show um, called uh, House. It was a medical show. Here's a picture of Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie, here's a picture I think we have of him. Uh, this is a, uh, a famor, famous actor. Maybe we don't have that. There it is. Who knows this guy? Do you know this guy, Hugh Laurie? How many ever watched the show House? Do you ever watch the show House? Uh, he was such a nice guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was just, uh, uh, when I read an article about him, they said he was... Um, uh, Milanthropic was, was what they titled him as being. And I looked up that word, what does uh, misanthropic mean? What does misanthropic mean? It means a hater of mankind. That's what it means. He was, that, he was just, a, just, a, a, just, a, just a miserable old soul. He's addicted to pain medication, and he was just a, hated everybody and just all that. And so we, we watched the show. We found it entertaining. I thought it'd be interesting to have a show like him as a, as a, as a local pastor that had that personality. I thought that'd be really interesting. I, I, I've known a few pastors that had that personality, but... But, um, but we loved the show, and we watched it. It was on, I think, for eight seasons, and uh, it was just a really entertaining show. But uh, Karen, my wife, was one day watching, uh, I think the, uh, it was Regis and Kathy Lee maybe then, or whoever on the, on the live uh, show there, and he was on the show. And um, Karen said she couldn't believe it. When he began to talk, uh, he is Scottish. He's from Scotland, and he had a heavy Scottish accent. And um, so I did the research on him. He's, he's from Scotland. Ironically, his dad was a doctor. And so when you heard him in the show, 
he spoke in very uh, natural English without an accent. But his native language was Scottish, and he spoke with a heavy accent naturally. So everything you saw on the show was him training himself to speak in a way that Americans would speak. And part of what we have to do is learn how to train ourselves, train ourselves to not complain, but to be grateful and to be thankful for all things. Because there's always something wonderful happening in your life, along with something challenging happening in your life. There's always something. And so, giving thanks for all things. When I think about giving thanks, and I think about overflowing with gratitude, uh, the Lord um, often pulls me back to thinking about what I have to be most thankful for. And what I have to be most thankful for is that I was a, a sinner. I was a, a rebel against the holy God who made the universe. And that I have sinned and fallen short of God's glory throughout my life. How many here have sinned and fallen short of God's glory during your life? And the grace of God, the New Testament teaches that Jesus came and he died for my sins. And he forgave me of every sin I've committed, deletes it, deletes it out of the record, and forgives me. It reminds me of the, uh, the ten lepers who Jesus healed. And the one leopard, uh, leper was healed, uh, there was ten of them healed, and this one leper came back and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he thanked Jesus for cleansing him of his sin, of all his sin. Hey, listen, are you glad you've been forgiven of all your sins? And let me just say this radical thing, and this, God does many things for us. I was reading in Psalms the other day, Psalm 103, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives you all your transgressions and heals you of all your diseases and all the benefits we have in the kingdom of God. But listen, if the Lord never, ever did another thing for me the rest of my life, because he has redeemed me and forgiven me of my sins, I have the most incredible future in eternity, and I can live my life overflowing with thankfulness because I'm a son of God that's been bought by the blood of Jesus, and I've been born again by the power of the Spirit, and I'm a new creature in Christ, and I have so much to be thankful for because I've been forgiven of all my sins. Amen. Listen to this. Jesus did not die for your best moment. Jesus died for your worst moment. How many have some worst moments? You ask some things that you're glad they're, it's not on the screen here today. You ever go to the DMV and get your license? And uh, they take a picture of you and they tell you to stand there and you don't even know and they flash it. And how many know, how many, how many your, your license is like the worst picture that you ever have? Anybody get your license picture blown up and put on the wall because it's just so good? Uh, you know, your passport picture. How about your passport picture? Isn't that a beauty, your passport picture? Irma Bombeck says if you look like your passport, you're too sick to travel. So, uh, <laughs> But Jesus died for our worst moment. And I should be 
every day overflowing with thankfulness that I have been forgiven of all my sins. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God's sovereign in my life. Even when negative and difficult things are happening, God is at work in my life. He's moving in my life. And I can be eternally grateful. And this overflowingness of thankfulness can delete all of that complaining in my life and all that those negative things that, that I kind of want to give myself to. But we want to we become people, as Paul said, who are like stars in the universe, in a dark, negative world. In a dark, negative world, we want to be like stars in the universe that are bright, positive, full of God's grace and God's light in our life. I heard about uh, years ago about this, uh, this guy, this Catholic guy named Brother Benjamin. And Brother Benjamin, he loved God. And he wanted to be serious about his faith, and so he joined a monastery. It was one of those monasteries where you, you had to be silent. You couldn't say anything. It was a, a vow of silence, and so he joined this monastery. Uh, uh, monastery in the hills, and Brother Benjamin was, you know, serious about his faith, and so he joined this monastery, and the rules were that you could only say two words a year, two words a year, and so at the end of his first year, the bishop called him in and said, Brother Benjamin, you've been here a year, uh, you get to say two words, what would you like to say? Brother ben Benjamin said, bed hard, <laughs> bed hard, Okay, Brother Benjamin, we'll write that down. We'll put it in your file. He goes back and he serves another year and he comes back for that second evaluation. And they said, Brother Benjamin, you get to say two more words. What would you like to say? He said, food bad, food bad. Okay, Brother Benjamin, we'll write that down. And he wrote it down. And he went for a third year and he served for a third year and he came in for his consultation. He said, Brother Benjamin, you get to say two more words. What would you like to say? He said, I quit, I quit. <laughs> And the bishop looked at him and said, doesn't surprise me, you've done nothing but complain the whole time you've been here. <laughs> and I hope that throughout our journey in this wonderful planet that God has put us on, that we don't spend our whole time here complaining, but we can spend our times, our time worshiping and honoring the Lord.